Welcome to another edition of the American Sheep Industry Association's Research Update. I'm your host, Jake Thorne. As summer turns to fall, many producers across the U.S. are preparing for the traditional sheep breeding season. Ram sales are occurring throughout the country and plans are being put in place to ensure that the 2022 lamb crop will be another success. But with that said, the majority of the domestic lamb crop will be on the ground by June 1st. This abundance of spring lambs is just one aspect of a cascade of events that result in a seasonality issue that impacts the U.S. sheep industry all the way from the producer to the end consumer. This issue is complex and multifaceted, but joining me today to clear the air on this topic and provide some potential solutions is Dr. Reed Redden, Texas A&M AgriLife Sheep and Goat Specialist and Director of the San Angelo Research and Extension Center. Dr. Redden, thank you for being with us today. Thanks for having me on, Jake. Absolutely. Now, Dr. Redden, can you please tell us a little more about your background and your current roles with Texas A&M AgriLife? Sure. Um, well, I guess background is a um, native Texan and got a bachelor's degree in animal science at Texas A&M and then traveled through the western U.S. and northern part of the U.S. with my master's, Ph.D. and an academic position before moving back to Texas in 2015 and doing most of what I do now. Awesome. Now, from a broad perspective, what is the issue of seasonality in regard to American land production? Well, you know, Jake, as you said before, the, about 80% of the lambs in the U.S. are born in the first five months of the year. Um, and so you have a bunch of lambs at one point in time, and if all those lambs were managed the same, they would all reach market weight around that same time frame. But we don't have a five-month demand season. There's a steady demand for lamb year-round, uh, with a few occasional spikes in lamb and lamb products, not just lamb itself, related mostly to religious holidays. Okay. So what exactly are the reasons, and I know there's probably many, but what are the reasons that so many lambs are produced within just a few months of the year here in the U.S.? That's a great question. You know, it's, it's twofold. A lot of the sheep farmers and ranchers across the U.S. are fitting their environment production system, labor resources, and things of that such. And so um, that time of year tends to be the best time for them to produce lambs that are healthy and robust and, and fit the management of that operation, whether you're trying to avoid winter storms in the Intermountain West, and so lambing in the spring helps you do that, or you know, maybe you're, you're in, in, in Texas and you're trying to not have lambs be born at the early part of the summer and avoid the heat. Or, you know, there's some farmers and ranchers that raise sheep. There are also other farmers. And so they need lambs to be born outside of whenever their other farming operations are going on. And so generally it fits the time of the year that uh, is when the farmers and ranchers can produce them the most efficiently. Uh, and then the other side of that equation is sheep tend to be somewhat seasonal. So it, they, they uh, breed up better. They have larger lamb crops if you breed in the fall and lamb in the spring. Okay. So I want to touch on that second aspect of, of your answer there. Even though sheep tend to have some, some seasonal breeding tendencies, are there breeds or animals that are capable of really effectively breeding out of that season? 
Yes. Uh, for the most part, the vast majority of the breeds that are common in the U.S. have the ability to lamb out of season. Um, the ones that are challenged with it the most tend to be coming from, or they originate from countries um, where they were very spring dominated. Um, and those tend to be Northern Europe. So your Suffolk's, your Hampshire's, uh, the strong wool type breeds that are from that region are very seasonal. And that's because they didn't want lambs born any other time of the year. And so those breeds are very seasonal, but those aren't the most common here in the U S you know, our fine wool breeds can all breed out of season. Rambouillet would probably be the most common or in crossbreed operations for, you know, Texas and the Intermountain West, our hair sheep breeds, uh, whether those are Dorper or Katahdin or a number of different hair sheep breed types in the U S all have the ability to lamb out of season. Uh, they may, may not breed up as well as we would like them to, but we definitely can get lambs born in the fall. Uh, very few breeds uh, have a strong uh, breeding season in that January, February time frame where they're born in the middle of the summer. And, and that's just not ideal for a lot of places. So that's the only window where we're really challenged with the sheep breeds. But those that said that they can doesn't mean they're great at it. And it generally takes selective breeding over a period of time to find those animals that are better at it and promote those genetics in your flocks over time. And so it's not an insurmountable barrier, but there are some challenges with out-of-season breeding. Absolutely. Okay. Now, where are the majority of, of the lambs produced in the U.S.? And, and I think, you know, you've mentioned weather and environmental constraints, and I think that's probably going to come up. But are these regions, you know, are they constrained to certain production windows because of, of some weather issues? So we'll just kind of go down the list of the top producing states. And so you and I are both located in Texas and Texas is the leading um, sheep producer. And we are not that uh, confined. Uh, we can produce lambs in the fall um, throughout the winter and in the spring. And so we can spread out lambs pretty well here. The second most would be California, your home state <laughs> yeah. where, where you were born. Uh, and that, that state as well can breed and raise lambs out of season. And they do quite a bit. Uh, the next, um, when we look at like three, four, five states, we're in the Intermountain West. So Utah, Idaho, uh, Colorado, Montana, South Dakota, uh, some of those states are much more challenged with winter, severe winter conditions, and they are also range-based operations, and so they tend to all lamb in the spring, and then those lambs and ewes will run in, on native range land through the summer, and they're weaned in the fall, and, and so they're more confined at what they can do. And there's a fair number of lambs that are produced in the eastern part of the U.S. Uh, the Midwestern operations are some larger ones in the Midwest. And although they have severe winter, uh, they're also farmers. So in the spring and summer, they're farming. And so they actually, a, a good chunk of those lamb in the winter in barns and confined facilities. And so, um, and they accelerate those lambs. I say accelerate. They're on high planes of nutrition. And so they have a different production system. So the United States does have a lot of diversity and that provides strength to spreading out our lamb supply. Right. Okay. Now, is seasonality an issue for some of those other high sheep producing regions across the world? 
It is. Um, you know, if we look at the United Kingdom and Europe, uh, those are large sheep producing regions and large lamb consuming regions of the U.S. And they definitely have seasonal patterns. Um, there's strong winters there. So uh, from my experience touring around and, and looking at the data, they tend to lamb in the spring. Those lambs are finished on grass through the summer. And so there's definite periods where they have a shortage of supply. And the best of my knowledge, most of that supply uh, is picked up by imported lamb from sister countries in the southern hemisphere. So notably would be Australia, New Zealand, large exporting uh, lamb countries in the world. And so those those you know, producers on the other side of the equator that are in the same production season, but just a, a different calendar month. Uh, will allow them to spread out that lamb supply for their consumer base. Okay. Now, you sort of set the foundation for the issue of, of seasonality, but where this really impacts a lot of our producers in the U.S. is when they go to sell the lambs and the prices that those lambs capture. So I kind of want to shift our, our discussion here to the markets. How are are the markets for live lambs uh, and, and lamb product both impacted by this seasonal supply? Yeah, so that's a good question, Jake. Uh, it it tends to be regional um, because the, just the way the markets work is pretty regionalized. We'll start with Texas, and Texas tends to be, and, and I assume we'll discuss this in a bit, but a non-traditional oriented state where we're pro- providing a lot of lambs to the non-traditional market, and we see very consistent uh, seasonal swings where there's a high. Uh, the markets are really high in the winter when our supply is the lowest and the markets are lowest in the summer when our supply is the highest. Um, COVID has changed everything a bit. And so right now we're in the latter part of the summer, early fall, we would tend to see lower prices right now because we would be at the end of our high supply season, but the markets are still very strong and there's been a lot of dynamics that have gone on in the past year that have, have led to that. But we would anticipate that the markets will stay strong from now through the winter to follow that seasonal pattern. Okay. Um, you know, outside the state, you start looking in the Intermountain West where a lot of those feeder lambs are coming off. Uh, there's a bunch of feeder lambs that are coming out of the out of the mountains right now. And traditionally, this would be the lowest time in feeder lamb prices. Uh, but again, there is a, a big shortage of lamb in the U.S. So feeder lambs are bringing a premium right now. Uh, and it's going against that pattern of whenever those were there that's the live market uh, I, I believe you asked me what about the market on uh, lamb right. product as yeah. well and that that's a kind of yes and no for the typical american consumer that is buying lamb either on a plate at a high-end restaurant um, or at their grocery store um, those restaurants and grocery stores like to have more consistent prices. They want that consumer to have a pretty good idea of what that lamb's going to cost them. And so they try to moderate that by not having so much highs and lows there. Um, but the non-traditional market is completely opposite. Um, they tend to be buying whole lambs or carcasses of lambs. And those are are pretty fresh and timely and that non-traditional market is more accustomed to seeing price swings 
by season because um, it's not cuts. It's not been manufactured and not manufactured, but harvested and distributed and all kinds of different things. It's pretty close to home, so to speak. All right. Okay. I, if you don't mind, I'd, I'd like to stop you and, and back up just a little bit uh, so we can have some some clarity on some things. What you you talked about this traditional market and non traditional market. What are those? And, and can you give us a just a brief description of, of those two avenues of how lambs are are marketed? Sure. Well, I guess I would first start with we try to put things in boxes so <laughs> yeah. we can explain it and put a rational order by which we explain things. But it's really hard to actually put these things in boxes, and there's a lot of diversity out there. But we use the term traditional and non-traditional a lot. Traditional generally refers to lambs that are harvested in a manner that's similar to what the beef industry is. They're coming off ranches. They're going to um, a growing and finishing facility. They're going to large harvest facilities where those lambs will be processed into primal cuts and those primal cuts will be either further processed there or distributed across the u.s um and so that's kind of the western mindset of of uh, of, of the markets the non-traditional markets tend to not go that route they tend to go to smaller plants uh, where and sometimes the consumer is buying a live animal doing the harvest themselves although that's probably not as common as people maybe tend to believe it is but they would be uh, lambs that would be going uh, from a sale barn uh, direct to a harvest point uh, where they wouldn't be fed they're they tend to be marketed at lighter weights um, you know like 60 to 80 pounds is the probably most common especially if it's going into the the muslim type trade so halal lamb and and those the consumers tend to be buying you know the whole carcass or half carcass and they tend to be buying it from the the butcher or the the harvest person um, or directly from the farmer themselves and so um, there's a lot of diversity out there but that's kind of defines the traditional versus non-traditional market right okay and you know, so it, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it seems like the traditional market lambs that are harvested at a, a little maybe older age and, and a, a little heavier weight, is their harvest window wider and, and could they be harvested at different times as opposed to a non-traditional lamb that you said is is harvested at a much lighter weight and, and, and earlier age where they're pretty set in the time that which they need to be harvested? Or am I completely off base here? No, you're perfectly on, on spot there, Jake. So, um, <clears throat> you know, our traditional breeds where uh, we're, we're producing a traditional type product, um, those lambs can can be managed so that they're at the ideal harvest weight. Um, let's say that's, you know, 160 pounds just for simplicity. Um, they can reach that in a matter of six to eight months. Uh, as a group of lambs, they can reach that target point in six to eight months um, with, you know, higher quality feed, good environment for them, um, or they can be managed to grow a little slower and, and, they could reach that target weight in, you know, 10 to 16 months. And so you really can spread that out. And that's how the U S lamb industry has provided a consistent 
land product year round is by those different management systems. And even though they're born during, um, you know, a four or five month window, we still have that lamb year round. Right. Okay. Now, how about the, the demand for lamb? And I think you said it earlier, but I just want to go back to that. Is the demand of lamb steady across the year or are there high and, and low times like supply? It's a good question. Um, you know, we haven't talked about this yet in this pot in this podcast, but I do want to let the listeners know that if they really want to dig into this, there's a white paper that we wrote a couple of years ago on the seasonality of the U S lamb industry. You can find it at the lamb resource center.com. Um, and it's a good place to read through this. Uh, I say it's great because I was the lead coordinator <laughs> author of it, but, uh, but there's a good graph in there that shows that there's a pretty consistent demand for lamb year round. Um, a lot of, you'll hear a lot of people talk about, you know, big demands leading up to holidays and yes, some holidays, there are some spikes, uh, but it's only a 20 or a 30% increase in, in spike for that product, uh, within that season. And they're all related around religious holidays. Uh, rack of lamb is there's a big demand in rack of lamb leading up to Christmas. Uh, a lot of folks like to have a rack of lamb at Christmas. Leg of lamb, a uh, big spike in leg of lamb demand right before Easter. And then when we look at the non traditional markets, um, there's a spike in demand for those, you know, 60 to 80 pound lambs leading up to Ramadan, um, which is the month of fasting for, for Muslim Americans and, and, so we see that one as well. And then there's a spike in demand for a little bit larger um, lambs leading up to the festival of sacrifice. But all in all, those are spikes. There is a year round steady demand for all of those lamb products. Interesting. It's interesting too, about the preference for the cuts at the different holidays. Now it, at, you know, at sometimes obviously we have a, a high supply of lamb. So what happens to that extra product that isn't sold can it be frozen and saved for those low supply times uh definitely um you know usda will they have some reporting on the frozen inventory and right now because there's such a shortage we've had the lowest frozen inventory in a long time and so a lot of lambs or different lamb cuts uh, uh you know for instance um some of our uh, shanks, you know, shanks is typically, you know, made in a stew. And so it's most commonly used in the winter. So what do you do with those lamb shanks throughout the summer? Well, you freeze them. And so a lot of that, those lamb, a lot of lamb and lamb products are frozen to hold uh, for a known spike in demand coming into the future. Uh, but the consumers prefer fresh. Uh, they prefer a fresh lamb in the marketplace. We don't have a consumer that's accustomed to that like chicken. You know, people buy frozen chicken all the time. But when you go to your favorite grocery store to go pick up lamb, you want to buy it fresh. And that's what consumers want. And so some of it's frozen and then pulled back out and, and marketed later. And, and some of it is hold at what they call cold where it's like not quite frozen, but just almost to extend that shelf life to spread out our supply whenever we have um, a known demand coming into the future, or we have an oversupply of lambs that are coming in and we need to get those lambs um, harvested so that they don't get beyond our current market weight and spread that out. Right. Okay. 
Now, obviously, you know, we've been discussing domestic production and uh, domestic seasonality, but imported lamb is a huge component uh, to our, our industry here. Now, are imports, uh, do they also kind of follow this seasonal pattern as well, or do they have a, a steady supply? Uh, that's a good question. And, and again, I can refer back to that white paper, um, and you can look at the amount of imported product. Uh, but for the most part, those imports are, those numbers go up leading up to some of those spikes. Um, and then the also thing you need to realize is they don't import whole lamb carcasses that much into the U.S. We tend to be uh, importing the high value primal cuts. So rack of lamb, lamb chops, leg of lamb, those cuts. And for the most part, there's a pretty steady supply of imported lamb in the u.s with spikes leading up to the current holidays where we see increases in lamb demand whether it's domestic or import okay all right now i, I kind of want to move on and, and ask you a bit about how to potentially solve this issue and, and particularly from the producer's perspective uh, for those producers who are considering shifting to a, a fall lambing system, spring breeding or, or early summer breeding and, and fall lambing to take advantage of maybe some higher market prices and, uh, and whatnot, what are the potential challenges that they may face with this type of production? Sure. I mean, the, the one that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast with getting a good breed up that's a consistent breed up and a high lamb crop out of season is one of the, the challenges. There's been a lot of research with exogenous hormones and all kinds of different strategies, light therapy uh, and different things. But over the, the test of time, if you will, good nutrition, the right genetics and um, a close eye to fertility in both the male and female side tends to result in more successful, you know, out-of-season breeding um, production strategies. Right. And so obviously there's a, a lot of factors, but how does a, a producer who's considering this uh, ahead of time, how, how do they know if this transition is really going to be possible for them or if it's something that's really just not going to work? So I think that a person that's considering this shouldn't do it without doing quite a bit of research and discussion. Um, you know, they can reach out to their veterinarian and talk about it, talk to some folks in extension, um, you know, talk to some fellow ranchers that have tried it and really, really dig deep. Uh, do you have the right breed for it? Uh, do you have the good nutritional supply for those ewes and lactating lambs at the time of year that you're looking to move towards and are you really producing a lamb that's fitting a historically undersupplied market okay so you know in, in in texas here if you have those lambs that are born in the fall and you're targeting a non-traditional market so they're born in the fall and they're being you know weaned and going to the non-traditional market in the winter it's very consistent every year we have premiums at sale barns here in texas for that but if you change the equation and say you're a, a Midwestern operation and you lamb in the fall and put those lambs on a high quality uh, feed throughout the winter and you're marketing them in the spring or late winter and spring, well, that's actually the high supply season for larger traditional lambs. 
So you would need to make sure that you're able to market them at a little bit lighter weight going into a non-traditional market, or you might have kind of added insult to injury. You made it harder on yourself to produce them, and you supplied a product at a time of the year when there's already a large supply. So I don't know. Maybe I overcomplicate things here, Jake. Tell me if I didn't answer your question. No, no, you did. But I want to go back to this management aspect. And and you touched on it just a second ago about some research into some light therapy and and whatnot. Uh, So so what are some strategies? Are those feasible strategies that can increase the success of a-seasonal production? Or is this more of a genetic issue? And are there genetic selection tools out there? What what can someone look to as far as resources and, and strategies? Sure. Um, it, it's a combination of all of the above. You know, if you don't have the genetic potential to produce out of season, you're you're fighting a, a real uphill battle. And, you know, best case scenario, you might get a 30 or 40% land crop if you don't have the genetic potential for it. Um, if you do have the genetic potential for it, you might recognize that you're going to drop your, you might lose 30 or 40% land crop uh, moving to the fall lambing season. But if this is right for you in the long term and you keep improving those genetics over time, you can get back to a normal rate of production in that out of season period. And you can never um, starve the profits out of sheep. If you're looking to do an out-of-season breeding scenario, they must be on a, a good plane of nutrition for 30 days leading up to that breeding season. Um, they have to maintain good nutrition through, you know, throughout their pregnancy for that to be successful. Um, and so a lot of, a lot of folks in, in the spring, if they just had lambs and you just weaned a group of lambs off of them and you're trying to accelerate, uh, your lamb crop and get another lamb crop, but they're a little bit on the lean side, you're going to really struggle, uh, to getting success and never overestimate having rams that are fertile in that season as well. And so rams that are vigorous often are going to get out there and, and run the ewes around and make their presence known and, and make sure that um, the ewes know, oh, well, this isn't the normal time of the year to breed, but um, this guy thinks so. And so she can, he can convince them to get estrus to get started again. And so having good fertility in the rams. But if you turn rams out and they're laying under one shade tree and the ewes are all laying under under another shade tree, you know something's not right here <laughs> and uh, you're not going to have a very healthy lamb crop. Right. How about the use of teaser rams? Are, would that be something that would be a, a good strategy and particularly a a-seasonal breeding? Definitely. Um, th- that's a, a pretty successful strategy a lot of folks have because – in some breeds or a good chunk of the breeds in that out of season period, those ewes are not cycling because they haven't seen long days followed by short days yet. And so they need the presence of rams to stimulate them to come in. But if you put fertile rams out right away, um, they're not going to breed very many. So you get this staggered lamb crop. If you put vasectomized rams out, especially maybe a vasectomized ram from a breed that's very aseasonal, um, in its breeding profile, that's very vigorous. He will get out there and, and really chase the ewes around and, and get them stimulated and yet not breed anything. So then when you put your fertile rams in the user cycling, they'll be attracted to the rams 
and maybe even if he's not as vigorous as your vasectomized ram, he'll still recognize what's going on and you can tighten that lambing window up. And that works really anytime from March through August, really. Yeah. Okay, cool. Now you're a, a research director here at in Texas A&M AgriLife. And, and so I want to ask you, do you know of, of current research that's being conducted that's sort of can fall within this, uh, you know, solution to a seasonality or seasonality, excuse me, or is there research that you would like to see that's being conducted to maybe pin, pinpoint some aspects of this to, to help with a solution? That's a good question, Jake. I think that there is probably sufficient research out there from a biological understanding to, to get us to where we need to be, to be more successful in out of season lambing, whether that's, you know, understanding nutritional aspects, um, understanding, you know, the melatonin response to light, you know, of course, a little bit more may refine and get us to a better understanding of it, but really probably where we're at now is research into these systems types approach. Uh, to refine what's out there and make it a little bit easier to comprehend um, and a little bit easier to apply for our sheep farmers who kind of have to be the jack of all trades. Uh, One example of that would be estimated breeding values. We talk about breed improvement all the time, but estimated breeding values are a simple, a complex tool that simplifies breeding projections or breeding potential for the, the sheep farmers and ranchers that are out there. And while we have fertility estimated breeding values, we do not have a breeding value for aseasonality. And that, that would be a good one to have. There's been some research done to show that it's possible and that it's heritable, but that where the, where the rubber meets the road approach to making that scientific knowledge into a usable tool is not there yet. Okay. Now you, you said systems and, and kind of looking at this broad perspective, uh, there's, are there some potential secondary benefits for those producers that are, have decided to, to move into a fall lambing scenario? You know, we're talking about some of the challenges and some of the ways to combat those challenges, but are there some, some added bonuses if you shift to this style of production? There are some, yes. Uh, that's good. Good discussion point. You know, here in, in Texas, where we've been fortunate to have some rain, or we um, we recognize the issue of drought that some of our Intermountain West folks are dealing with. But uh, here, where we've had some rain and warm weather, we deal with parasites a lot. And moving into a fall lambing scenario allows us to uh, have ewes and lambs, which are the most susceptible to internal parasites in a cooler time of the year where we don't have as much pressure from internal parasites. And it kind of breaks that cycle because after the lambs are weaned off, the lambs and ewes are in the middle of the winter and it's not successful. So we definitely reduce our parasite challenges by fall lambing. Um, We might also reduce our predator challenges because our predators reproductive cycles and things are preset for you know, spring-born lambs or wildlife or whatever. So as coyotes are rearing pups in the spring, you know, their need, their dietary needs go up. So they're going to be more aggressive about killing livestock to feed and fuel their own families, if you will. So if you move in the fall, you might move out of that. That's not always true. There may be eagle pressure that you get 
in a in in the fall and the winter. So, parasites and predators would probably be uh, two of the the bigger ones. Okay. Now, how about for those folks that really, particularly maybe from an environmental standpoint, fall lambing is is just not an option that's on the table. Can those producers who obviously are are still spring lambing uh, using that traditional approach, can there be benefits for them to to market their lambs either at a younger or much older age to capture some of those seasonal price benefits when they're still fairly high? You know, most definitely. If you're you're lambing, you know, a little bit earlier in that five-month period, you know, in the winter or early spring, you tend to benefit from having those animals reach market condition faster. So here in this region, if you're if you're um, raising for the non-traditional market, if you're lambing in say January, February, and those lambs can get weaned off and moved into the marketplace by March or April, you know, you're doing yourself some favors because it's only going to go downhill. I just generally <laughs> the market goes downhill in the summer of the non-traditional markets. Um, you know, but if you choose to land later in the year, um, April, May, even June, uh, if you could slow those growth rates down, you know, we're not going to compromise animal health, but just slow those great growth rates down and market that same animal, you know, in the, the late fall, early winter when the markets are improving, it's going to help you. Um, those two scenarios are both driven towards non-traditional. Uh, when you move into the traditional market based off region, that might change. And so again, uh, it gets complicated and, and this whole scenario where we have two different markets we have multiple regions it's a little tough to make that prediction without sitting down one-on-one talking with somebody and and really thinking it through okay now hair sheep uh, you know we're here in texas and hair sheep are really increasing in, in popularity in this region and other parts of, of the u.s too and they fit really well into this non-traditional marketing channel that you, you talked about earlier is the increase in the numbers of, of hair sheep actually leading to a less seasonal supply of overall domestic lamb? I would say that it's not. I think the increase in hair sheep have um, probably benefited us in the seasonal supply of lamb because they aren't as constrained to their breeding season. They lamb more out of season, but because of the popularity of hair sheep, it's more the non-traditional markets that hair sheep go to is making our seasonal supply harder. Because we talked about before, if we have a traditional market and we can market a lamb anywhere from six months to say 16 months, it gives us a lot of flexibility. The non-traditional market wants a lighter weight animal. And so our market windows you know, are cut down and maybe we only have a four to eight month market window. And so um, I, I think the hair sheep are probably helping uh, with supply the non-traditional market, but the non-traditional market itself is making seasonality maybe more challenging. Okay. And my understanding is that particularly from this past year, the non-traditional market actually drew some of the wool feeder lambs and, and to fill their supply needs. Is that right? And, and did that impact prices? Yeah, I can't say with any certainty on what percentage uh, of that happened, but definitely um, 
you know, in 2020, the year of COVID, uh, there was a, a crash in the land market. We'll not get too deep into that, but there was a crash in the land market, the traditional land market, the non-traditional was seeking lambs. And so a lot of those uh, traditional lambs moved into the non-traditional market. And so they did not show up and make it into the feeding systems that would typically supply a traditional lamb. And since those lambs didn't show up in, the, in those feeding systems, they didn't show up for the traditional market to buy and harvest. And so they, the traditional market is really short on lambs and as is the non-traditional market, cause that demands high. But the other component to that is size. So we have a, demand for lamb but that demand is really pounds of lamb and so as we shift and more lambs are going into the non-traditional market let's say it's 70 pounds it takes two 70 pound lambs to produce the same amount of product as 140 pound lamb so we're we have a limited number of lambs that are produced in the u.s and at the lighter weight we we harvest and send those to a marketplace uh, the more, um, it's kind of almost adding uh, fuel to a fire in a sense of our undersupply issue that we have here in the U S. Okay. Now as a, an extension specialist and, and someone who advises and works with producers on a daily basis, where would you like to see the industry's production in 10 years? Is consistent lamb production throughout the year really something that's achievable? Um, I think it is, but I would encourage folks to first start with the thought process of how do I maximize or optimize, optimize is better than maximize, but optimize the number of lambs that I can produce. Because as I mentioned before, I think where we're at right now is an undersupply of the marketplace. Um, yes, there's some seasonal issues with undersupply, but if we just spread out the lamb crop better, we would still undersupply it. And so uh, what we don't want to do is encourage some folks to produce outside their normal production season and then it turn around and reduce their overall production by 30% because we know fertility is lower in the fall than it is the spring. And so I would think first is how do I maximize production? And most people are, you know, the ranch can only support so many use. You can't say I'm going to increase production by 30% and increase the flock size by 30%. You'll overgraze and, and reduce your resources that you have available to you. So how do we maximize that? That's getting the biggest lamb crops that we can. And so raising twins more often maybe accelerating so having three lamb crops in two years and that will give you some aseasonal supply but the real thought process is producing more lambs not so much producing lambs at a different time okay now you mentioned earlier in this podcast uh, about a white paper and, and i think you did say where folks can find that would you mind just reiterating where uh, that white paper on seasonality is, is located and if there are other resources that folks can go to to, to learn more about this subject and, and improving their management to kind of fill in that that uh, need sure so that white paper is uh, located at lambresourcecenter.com and so if you, if you go to their, that page, which is hosted by the American Land Board, which is the checkoff board, 
and go under resources and um, productivity resources. So there's a tab resources and a sub tab productivity resources. And under that, uh, scroll down and you'll find um, a white paper called Seasonality of the U.S. Lamb Industry. Awesome. All right. Now, I, I'd like to ask this of, of everyone that comes on this podcast uh, as we start to wrap things up. You know, we, you provided a tremendous amount of, of information and, and discussion points, but what maybe is the one point that you would like our listeners to take away from our discussion this today? Sure. I guess the, the big point I would like to take away is seasonality is not simple. It's very complex. The U.S. lamb industry is very diverse. That diversity is a strength. And seasonality becomes the biggest problem to the U.S. lamb industry whenever we have major changes that prevent a particular supply for showing up at the marketplace as it normally would. You know, for instance, right now there's major drought um, in the Air Mountain West, and so those lambs are harvest are are being weaned sooner. That's going to cause supply chain issues. And so, because of that complexity, if folks are thinking, how can they help contribute to this aseasonal supply of lamb? I would think that they need to work with their extension folks in their region so that they know what that region is, how that fits in the overall U.S. lamb industry, and make real wise uh, management plans to help address that. And I would encourage them that that most likely increasing their lamb crop is going to do more good um, to help the issues that the U.S. lamb industry is facing right now. Awesome. Well, Dr. Redden, this has been great. And, and unfortunately, we're about out of time. But thank you very much for, for joining us today. I've really enjoyed it. And you've provided us with an incredible amount to, to ponder on and think about and hopefully, uh, you know, provide some solutions to, to some of these really complex issues. So thank you very much. You bet, Jake. Thanks for having me on. Sure. And so for all you listeners, thank you too. Also for also for tuning in with us today. We'll be back next month with another episode as we tackle another topic that's impacting uh, the U.S. sheep industry. But until then, remember, eat lamb, wear wool, and to steal a line from Dr. Redden, ask yourself, what can I do to optimize my production? Have a good day.